we are diving right into this episode of the OHL podcast. Band-Aid is being ripped off right now. Sawyer Bolton, Jackson Stewart, three game suspensions, each bullshit suspensions. Pardon my French. It's a podcast. Deal with it. This is big person stuff now. No more messing around, Dan Mahar. Yeah, you know, I I think this one seemed a little harsh. I know, I know the whole stage fighting thing, agreeing to go off the draw. A lot of people don't have use for that anymore. Uh, I think it has no spot in the game. What are we doing? Doesn't really have any impact. But at the same time, it, uh, you know, my stake on this one, Mike, it's like if you don't want fighting, just ban it. Uh, otherwise, like, what are we, what are we doing with these, uh, these rulings after the fact? Yeah, and that's why I characterize this one the way that I do as a, a BS suspension. Look, I'm no huge fan of fighting in the game, although I will admit, and I think you and I have talked about it on past episodes, I had gone all the way, let's get fighting out. There's no point in watching people punch each other in the head, blah, 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 blah. And I've come back around to seeing where I think, personally, the Ontario Hockey League is in a pretty good place. Some of the people whose knuckles are dragging even lower than mine think that, oh no, it's still way too soft. But I think the Ontario Hockey League has put itself in a pretty darn good place when it comes to, essentially, there is no designated goon, for lack of a better term, on a team. There are severe penalties for engaging with a player who does not want to engage in the fisticuffs. I think the league has established that sent the right messages in all of those areas and then you get something like we had at the bay shore on a saturday night which let's come on this is the ontario hockey league this is what we want at the bay shore on a saturday night you got a heavyweight there who can also play in jackson stewart against a heavyweight for london who can also play in sawyer bolton and they decide about six and a half minutes into the game that they're gonna go they the offer was made the offer was accepted give them five and move on but for whatever reason they were given the game misconducts uh for the engaging in the fight prior to or at puck drop which is not exactly how it happened it was several seconds later these guys were around the ice a little bit before they decided to drop them and then after the game misconduct they were assessed the three game suspension by the league. I I just think it's it's absolutely bogus. The league has got to make up its mind and maybe this will be the motivation for the league to do so. You either don't want any fighting at all or you're going to let guys who want to go go cuz you can't you can't do this. Yeah, and I don't know sometimes Mike when you try and satisfy everyone and come to a compromise you end up satisfying no one. So People that love the fighting and want it in the game, they want the the old days, right, where these guys are racking up 15, 20 fights a year, good heavyweight tilts every game, or you got people that say there's no place for it in the game, teenagers shouldn't be punching each other, let's just ban it. The OHL's trying for some sort of hybrid, no one really knows where they stand, there's some mixed messages, and, and the other piece of it too, uh, in a developmental league, I mean, you got a player like Sawyer Bolton, we all know his father Eric made his living this way in the NHL. And the NHL still allows it. The NHL still has roles and contracts for these guys. We just saw Ryan Reeves get a three-year deal in Toronto for really not being an NHL-level hockey player, but one who can punch. <laughs> so you have a few guys that are being going to be coming up, possibly like Sawyer Bolton, saying, you know what, there's a there's a living for me here if I can prove myself. So uh, 
did we want it or not? Cause he's got this three fight limit now, assuming the uh, suspensions will go up from here if he gets in more. So like you said, Mike, you can't have goons designated goons on teams anywhere. There's not much point if they can't play hockey because you get their three fights and then you're into suspension town. So uh, yeah, it's all just seems a little bit mixed messagey to me. I know why we are as careful as we are around fighting. I get it. We all know this. Anybody who's a fan of the game of hockey understands brain injuries, CTE, some of the awful stories and, and tragic outcomes for men who engaged in the game in this manner. Let's call it those, again, for lack of a better term, designated goons. But nobody, nobody is dropping them 20 or 30 or more times a season anymore. So if there's going to be the occasional fisticuff, let there be the occasional fisticuff. Again, if the Ontario Hockey League wants to say outright, no more fighting, fine. I mean, we can have that conversation if and when it occurs, but you just, you can't be half in and half out, which is exactly what this feels like to me. But they, they, they were both willing combatants. And I'm just going to add one more thing to this. The fans loved it. After the game, what was everybody talking about? They were talking about the fight. Yeah, and that, and that's always going to be the case, right? And and you get all these dynamics coming at it. Cause I mean, like it's entertaining. You watch it, you think, wow, this like brings the uh, temperature up in the room, add some spice to the game, some excitement. People will buy tickets for that. People will come back. But then the other little uh, angel voice on my shoulder saying, yeah, but you're watching like two 18 year olds punch each other in the head and CTE and what are we doing? So I admit I, I'm a walking uh, conundrum on this one as well, Mike. So a uh, walking contradiction, but uh, you're right. The league can't continue to be a little bit pregnant. Right. I, I believe was the, the phrase uh, we were talking about. So you're, you're either in or you're out. You, you buy into this. You don't, you allow it. You don't, I, I don't think they've quite chosen a lane yet here. And I think the, uh, the message, like you said, the Bayshore was alive after that Two willing combatants. No one was jumped. No one was harmed in this, in the making of this fight. Um, so the three games just seems a little bit, uh, do you want them to do it or not? Cause three games says you don't, but the rules still say they can do it. So. Yeah, it's the, um, the willing combatants that matters most to me. Again, we've got rules in there to ensure, you know, older players aren't picking on younger players, that somebody who is an unwilling participant isn't ragdolled or dummied. And if, if they are, there are penalties for that. So, you know, again, you got, you got two big boys out there that both listen, I, apparently this was predetermined to the point that in warm up these guys knew that this was going to happen at some point and we listen they had a couple of good refs in that game in drew jackson and andrew wilmetz these guys have been around the league long enough to know and they told them be smart about it guys i i guess ultimately the determination was that these guys were not smart about it but i don't know how you arrive at a staged fight it didn't happen before the puck was dropped at the faceoff. It didn't happen right after the puck was dropped. The guys were on the ice together. The puck was dropped. Play began. And about 10, 12 seconds later, two guys dropped them through some real haymakers and then left the ice and apparently for good and now for the next three games. But yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. And I think, I hope this is the motivation for the league to take a serious look at it and decide what it wants to do in this regard. Yeah, because you just kind of described the moving goalposts, right? Like, remember years ago, they they decided, okay, well, you drop your gloves before the puck's dropped. That's an extra 10. 
Then they said, okay, you got to wait till the, so the, everyone adapts, says, okay, well, okay, drop the puck. Puck's dropped. Now we drop the gloves. Like, what difference is that? And now it's, well, the play went on for a little while. We're good, right? Oh, no, you're not. That was still staged. So the goalposts keep moving for these guys. And, it, and it's on the league to just say, here's what we want. Here's what we don't want. And be super clear about it. Because right now, I mean, who are we kidding? You got two guys like that looking to make a name for themselves, looking to get uh, a little bit of uh, PR for for applying their trade. Are you going to let them do it or not? Because if you're going to throw suspensions after one or two fights like this, these guys are kind of guessing what what the league wants. And, and ultimately, those types of guys may choose a different league, and that might be what the OHL wants. But until they spell it out for us, everyone's kind of guessing. I'm reluctant to kind of be the yeah, but guy here, but I, I will be for a moment, I think, because let's consider where this league and, and really the game, but the OHL was kind of, dare I say, almost famous for this stuff back in the 1980s and into the 90s, where if there was something going on in warmup, it went on in warmup. We had situations, of course, where there were full-on brawls before the game even started and before any officials were even on the ice. So if that's where we were and we all agree, that's not what we want. We're here to see some hockey. If the occasional fight breaks out, I think we're okay with that. That's why I'm saying I think the league is in a pretty good place with its rules right now. So considering where we were, what we've got now with a couple of guys who want to go on a Saturday night at the Bayshore, let them go. Come on. Yeah. Well, it just becomes a bit of a shrade too, right? Mike, like, you know, these two guys are going to do it. They've, whether they, you make them go under a shroud of secrecy, like hide their conversations from the officials, and the warmups, do what they've got to do. Some point they're going to do it because that's their role. That's what they're there for. It, it just becomes a charade how they how they present this to try and get around the league's rules. So yeah, I, yeah, I'm with you on that one. They just let's clear this up. That guy over there is Dan Mahar. You'll find him on Twitter at his name, Dan Mahar. I'm Mike Farwell at Farwell underscore OHL. Send us an email anytime, OHL podcast at rogers.com. If you don't like what we're saying here, like I'll I'll argue this one until my last breath. I think where the game is at junior wise is in a good place if they want to go let them go but if you feel differently and we know this is a polarizing subject in the game but i i really think the league got this one wrong i think three game suspensions for these two guys sawyer bolton and, and jackson stewart a little bit over the top uh something else to touch on certainly in a little bit more than just passing is ethan toms of the oshawa generals got a skate to the face in a game versus peterborough uh ugly ugly stuff but the good news is has had surgery to repair the laceration to his face back home with family resting comfortably expected to make a full recovery. I've said it before. I'll say it again. If I ever have a serious medical emergency, I hope I have it in a hockey arena, preferably during a game because there are some really highly qualified staff there to look after you. And, and Ethan Toms is going to be okay. And that's the important thing here. Yeah, a bit of a scary uh, cut, you know, chin up to the nose. And we all know anyone who's been cut there knows how much that bleeds. And it's, it's a pretty ugly scene. Um, but great uh, that he's okay now and, and doesn't look like there have any long-term issues. And your, your point about the medical care they receive in these buildings, Ante, is, is another great point. These, these guys are professionals. It's great to have them around. Uh, I'll just say, call me soft if you want, Farwell, but 
these days I would never go on the ice rink without the neck protection and a cage. Uh, I know these guys have to do it in the OHL, um, but I've taken a couple shots over my life hard and hit that cage. And if it wasn't for the cage, I would not have been looking too pretty the next day or probably ever. So, so yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's scary. We've all, we've all seen with the Adam Johnson incident, how quickly things can change and in a fast game like this. So I'm just glad that Ethan Toms is okay. Well, the irony is not lost on me that we were just talking on last week's episode about the Adam Johnson case. And we, we said flat out, it's, isn't it a wonder that this sort of thing doesn't happen more fully on board with the neck guard policies, obviously. And then this happens to Ethan Toms, but you, you said something that I've been considering and at the risk of sounding like Mr. Macho, cause I'm not the one out there on the ice. I, I'm a little bit worried that the next step we might be taking in the Ontario hockey league is full cage full time. And I don't know that I want to see the game go that way. And look, I recognize that I grew up in an era where players didn't even wear helmets. That became a thing. It's very weird to see somebody even skating around and warm up without a helmet. So whatever, anybody in a beer league without a helmet, taking a little lap, but, and then of course we've got the, the half shield, but I don't know. And and the Ontario hockey league, this is why it's on my mind. We know what a great job the league does of protecting players. It's big on player safety. Uh, I don't like, I hope, I really hope that this is all the conversation that happens around, well, we need to bring in full cages. I, these things happen so rarely. I I'm glad Ethan Thomas is going to be okay. I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end, but I also don't want to, I I'm sorry, but I don't want to see us start even having the conversation officially about full cages for players. Yeah, fair enough. And I, and you know, it's almost a personal choice thing. And I know the leagues at this level in the NHL talk about the marketing piece it, the, to make the league marketable, the players, you need to see their faces. That's part of the thing, part of the uh, package. So I get that. So they don't want the bird cages on. They kind of make players anonymous. They, they're not the uh, nicest looking things. Uh, and you, at this level, you get chirped hard if you choose to wear one. Now there's the argument too, that these players come up wearing bird cages. So why suddenly is it a problem for them to continue wearing them when they're 17 or, or whatever the case may be? Um, I know a lot of players will, will say that the, the vision is impacted by the cage. And I totally agree. Your, your vision in your, when the puck's in your feet, uh, looking down, it isn't the same when you have the birdcage on. And then the OHL at least has the half visors. And the main thing you're worried about is the eyes. You don't want you don't want something happening to your eyes. So I think we're at a sufficient level of protection right now. And yeah, I'm not I'm not saying we have to go to bird cages, Mike. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying me personally, I'm old, I'm soft, I don't want to lose my teeth. I'm not gonna go make two million dollars next year to repair those teeth. So that's how I'm rolling. And somebody in our position absolutely should probably consider that sort of thing. But I honestly, I'd love to, I'd love to know if there's ever been any research conducted or any analysis of when you come up with these bird cages, like, does it give you this false sense of security? Or then when that cage comes off, are you a little bit more reckless because it never really mattered before? I don't know. I ride a motorcycle and I'll tell you that all I do is put a helmet on my head and I feel like I am utterly invincible. And in the back of my mind, of course, I know that the only thing that helmet is doing 
is keeping my head in one place so you can hand it to my mother if the worst thing ever happens to me while I'm out there, right? But there's something about having that helmet on that makes me feel utterly invincible, even on a motorcycle. So I just, I wonder, are we a little more careless? And is it important for us to recognize that we have to take a greater degree of care around others with our sticks, et cetera, when we're playing the game of hockey without a cage on? Yeah, you know, it's a fair point. There's, I'd love to see data and research on that too, Mike, because that's always the theory, right? Yeah, layers of protection, are people going to be more reckless? And I, I tend to lean on the side that you're either a reckless player or you're not. And you're, so I'm not sure how much it changes behavior, but I'm sure at times does you feel invincible. All I know, and it's a tiny little anecdote from a few years ago, but I was uh, in the attacking zone facing off against a defense, a six foot three, 230 pound defenseman on the other side. And the puck popped up in the air and recklessly, he took a massive baseball swing at the puck and it hit me full on full force on the cage and I was fine, but I remember going home that night thinking, what would I be like if I had probably fractured nose, fractured orbital bone, maybe like it would have, it would have been very, very ugly and little piece of equipment. I was glad I had it that day. How did he respond after that? Oh, he was apologetic right away. He's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But to your point, maybe was he more reckless knowing we had cages, but like, I don't know. I don't know. I'd love to see data there too. All right. Uh, still with the Oshawa Generals, and I'll just copy what I posted on Twitter when it happened. What's next? Dogs and cats living together? Because the Oshawa Generals and the Peterborough Peets, what? Have hooked up on a deal. First time in almost 10 years. Last time they did this was 2015. But Connor Lockhart, OHL champion with the Peets last year, goes to the Oshawa Generals in exchange... For a third and a fifth. Yeah, that was the more shocking part to me, Mike. Not that two heated rivals are are making a trade. I don't know why you'd limit your market if if your bitter rival wants your player and you're selling, expand your market. What surprised me a little was you got an eighty point center going for a third and a fifth. Are we looking? I know he's an overage player. Overage prices tend to be a little bit lower, but. They've got the bulk of the season here with an 80-point center injected into the lineup for the low, low price of a third and a fifth. So is this kind of setting the price we can expect the rest of the way? Yeah, so uh, Pete's fans won't want to be reminded of this, but Connor Lockhart scored in his Oshawa Generals debut. To your point on the points he was producing, 86 points total over 73 games with the Pete's after he was acquired from Erie. That's what... Connor Lockhart put up. He added another 16 points in 23 playoff games. And here's where it gets even more interesting. Those 86 points in 73 games with the Peets. Now, granted, I know it was a much different team and he had a lot of supporting players around him, but Lockhart only had 75 points total in 121 games in Erie. So not even quite probably about 0.65 points per game where he became a point per game plus guy uh, with the Peterborough Peets. And and also when the Peets went out to get Connor Lockhart from the Erie Otters, they sent Sam Alfano a second and a third to Erie in exchange for Lockhart. So you could argue certainly that they're selling low here. I think a couple of things come into play. One is, and you alluded to it, not just that Connor Lockhart is an overager, but 
the Peterborough Peets had a glut of overagers. They had to move one. So it becomes a bit of a position of weakness there, obviously. One of the other things that in, in terms of like, if you've got to move one, you know, Roger Hunt in Oshawa kind of has the, the, the upper hand in that exchange, right? He's got a room for the overager. You have to get rid of an overager. One of the other things that stood out to me though, or strikes me in this is here we are talking about, did, did Mike Oak and the Peterborough Peets get value for Connor Lockhart? And, and you could certainly make the argument, no, but you know, I've been around this league long enough to have seen the Peterborough Peets build up and try to make runs before that were unsuccessful. And a lot of people were looking at Mike Oak and they're saying, how many more chances does this guy get? Blah, blah, blah. And now he's just coming off building an OHL champion and where people are starting to question him again. Oh, you didn't get enough for Connor Lockhart. So what have you done for me lately? Mike Oak is what I would say there. But I, I think generally your, your point on is this where the prices are being set? I mean, we talked last week about the Ethan Hay deal to Saginaw from Flint, uh, six draft picks change hands there. One comes back to Saginaw, so a net of five out the door. Uh, you know, I like the early deals. I think you get better value earlier that before there's the heat of the trade deadline. But this one's interesting and most interesting to me because it's between Oshawa and Peterborough. Yeah, there's all kinds of dynamics to this trade that just kind of struck me, Mike. Like you're absolutely right about Michael. Like what does he have to do to prove he knows what he's doing? But fair enough. But uh, when I look at the situation, the overage situation, Peter Rowe and a lot of people thought Govro maybe would move, maybe the, the most movable piece without hurting your core. Uh, the thinking was, yeah, but you might not get a lot of return there. So do you move someone else? So that was the thinking behind maybe moving Connor Lockhart. But then I see the third and fifth and think, well, they didn't get a ton there. So I don't know, a lot of, a lot of questions for me here. And, and you also wonder, handshake deal here maybe is there something else in the hopper later on between these two who knows but uh but all i know is that uh peterborough fans have every right to trust michael at this point and moving already moved michael simpson now moved connor lockhart still eight two and three sitting atop the standing so hard to question him uh i might have bought into the idea of a handshake deal nudge nudge wink wink if it wasn't oshawa and peterborough but i won't belabor that point anymore okay lots going on around the o i feel like i've been saying that every week but this is a good thing and i think it speaks to certainly our interest in junior hockey and the interest of listeners to this podcast in junior hockey so thanks to all concerned in that regard uh i'll, I'll start off with one of the ones that i've got on my list dan and that is the brantford bulldogs it was a week or two ago i was kind of pumping their tires when i picked Luca Testa as my prospect of the week and said, since Testa's back, you know, not only is he playing well, but the Bulldogs have started to turn it around and boy, oh boy, this might be the hardest luck team in the Ontario hockey league over the past couple of weekends. They pick up a come from behind overtime win over the North Bay battalion. And then they, that was their third win in a row. And then they proceed to lose four straight, one of them in OT to the London Knights, one of them in a shootout to the Guelph Storm where, oh my gosh, Brantford had been up four to nothing and lost at 5-4 in a shootout. So it's it's a little bit yucky right now, but gosh, that's some, that's some hard luck for the Bulldogs, who, by the way, just extended, you probably know, their coaching staff for three more years. Good guys there, good hockey people, but whew, a rough patch for the Bulldogs. Yeah, and, and you referenced some of the things to consider, though. Like, you're looking at 
beyond the scores and the standings, right? Because there's there's a lot of nuance there. And were they getting badly outplayed? How were they? And and when you look at so my preseason predictions, I had Brantford as a bit of a dark horse, I had Erie as a bit of a dark horse. I was feeling like a bit of a clown with how those game, teams started. We're starting to see it now. Those those two teams are starting to come on. And I didn't have much doubt that Brantford would start to figure it out. I'm not saying they're going to go to the top of the standings necessarily. We had him kind of mid-pack. But that team is just too big, too physical, too much of a pain to play against to not start reaping some rewards as the season drags on. And I think you'll see it even more, Mike, probably in the new year as teams run to fatigue, injuries, other things. I think Brantford's maybe built just a little more uh, to withstand that kind of thing. So uh, I'm not too concerned about that. You're certainly not going to get to the top of the standings picking up one point at a time, but your point's well taken. All right, what do you got on your list around the league? Well, I've got a, there's, there's a, a few things. Can I, can I throw a curveball at you? Cause I think the one 100%. I'd want to start with is just um, a quick observation. Can I just point out that there are no dogs this year? I'm looking, I'm looking at the OHL and like, normally there's two or three dog teams. I'm not seeing them. I'm like, who, who's at the bottom of the standings. You're going to try and convince me Windsor and Niagara are the dogs. I don't, I, I've watched those teams play a few times this year. They're, they're competitive most nights. They've lots of firepower on those rosters. If that's the worst of the worst, I think we might be seeing a, a rare year, Mike, of no no dogs in this league. That's a really interesting observation, and I hadn't thought about it at all, but it'll tie into something I'll touch on towards the end of this little loop around the league. But, you know, it doesn't appear as though there are the easy marks, if you will, that you might expect. One of the teams, in fact, I'll just mention them now that I had on my list too, is look out for those eerie otters all of a sudden. They're seven and five since the trade for Benjamin Godreau, but they've won three in a row, four of their past six, and they have points in five of six. One of their past three wins coming over the London Knights. So you didn't expect that for maybe what pundits like us were predicting as a bubble team for the playoffs coming into this season. And then just look at the sequence of games. They were in Saginaw, Flint, and Sarnia on Thursday, Friday, Sunday. It's it's hard to go a whole lot further than that when you're the team from Pennsylvania, and they won them all. Also, talk about Road Warriors, 11 games away from the Erie Insurance Arena, just five at home. They're only one and four at home, but they're six and three on the road. I, the Erie Otters right now, you want to talk about no dogs. They are surprising me a little bit and they're, they're getting it done with a pretty nasty travel schedule. Can I pat myself on the back a little? Cause I predicted Erie is my dark horse in the West. So, but that aside, I think that ties into another observation I had, which, which was, I mean, shocking. The Midwest is good, Mike. <laughs> it, it is really good. Uh, you look at uh, no teams, below 500 anymore in that division a couple surprisingly good teams like like kitchener we knew guelpho and sound in london were going to be good especially london uh and then erie like we just referenced they're they're really coming on short up the goaltending ben godreau is terrific in net and starting to see their talent at the top end of that lineup come out as a result um so yeah that 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 midwest division is a beast again you know and it is as tight as it is, even though Owen Sound seemed to take a minute or two to get things figured out under Darren Rumble after Greg Walters was let go. Credit, by the way, to Denny Gore and his five-point career-high night just this past week. And and the Guelph Storm 
took the Eastern swing through Ottawa and Kingston, lost them both, but still remain, as you said, above 500 and a tough team in the league overall. But that Midwest division is about as good as we've seen it in a while. Yeah. I mean, it's a war every year. Uh, everyone expects London to be in that war, but yeah, it's tough to, uh, to reconcile how good some of these teams are when you, you know, you see a seven and seven record, like both Erie and Owen Sound are currently sporting and you're saying, oh, that's, that's only okay. But when you live in that division, anything above 500 is, is doing okay. All right. Let me throw another quick one at you because last week we had an email from Elam who wrote us OHL podcast at rogers.com wondered if it was time for the Saginaw spirit to push the panic button. And you and I were both no settle down. It's still early. And then I'm watching the out of town scores on Friday night when this weekend got underway in earnest. And I'm watching Mississauga run out to a pretty good lead in Saginaw. And I started thinking, Oh boy, but the spirit were able to, figure that one out. They pick up a win over a very good Mississauga team. And then I'm just going to, and that was, by the way, avoided a fifth straight loss. So there you go. But I'm just going to go out and talk about the schedule again. So you come back, beat a good team in Mississauga on a Friday night. And when do you play again? Tuesday and Wednesday. What the hell kind of schedule is that? I promise I won't mention it again, but I just don't get it. You would want to, I'm sure, have been, and, and Saginaw loves their Saturday night home game, so I have no idea what's going on, but they've got a school day game in Sarnia the day this podcast is released on the Tuesday, and then they're back home to take on Flint on Wednesday night. I, I can't make it make sense. <laughs> Not much about Saginaw's season to date makes a ton of sense. I'll say that, and, and I'll just keep reiterating. I expect you're going to see some additions to that Saginaw roster as we go, and and that big comeback when you referenced over a very good team, excellent sign. I think you asked me offline earlier in the week: Is this turning their season? Is this the spark that turns their season a bit? Not quite convinced yet, because I know they're not going to be happy with the GA stat for that game, the goals against stat. Uh, still a concern for them. I know plus minus doesn't mean a whole lot in this day and age, but it is still an indicator. And there's an awful lot of ugly minuses on that roster, which is an indication that they're not quite preventing as well as, as Chris Lazari would like and, and Dave Drinko would like. And I think, you know, give them a few more weeks and then there's some triggers are going to start getting pulled on, on bringing in some reinforcements. Saginaw Spirit sitting with 11 points right now in the West Division. The leader, the leader, I was going to, I went between leader and leading team in that division is the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, and they have 22 points. So I don't care how early in the season it is. That's a lot of ground to make up, maybe some motivation for Saginaw, but I wanted to throw the Sioux into this little loop around the league because, Dan, this was a non-playoff team a season ago. And it was a non-playoff team by a country mile. They weren't close to making the playoffs last year. Now, I know I predicted them to be a little higher in the Western Conference standings than some, because I said, look, it's a team that had its eyes on hosting a Memorial Cup. They're not going to mess around up there. It's a well-run organization from ownership and Kyle Raftis is the GM on down. But I don't know anybody expected this four wins in a row six points ahead of flint and sarnia the next two in the division as mentioned 11 ahead of the saginaw spirit and 
tied for the top record and point total in the entire Ontario Hockey League. Tell me you saw that coming from the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, and I'll call you a liar. That's why I'm not going to tell you that, Mike, because you saw my <laughs> predictions. I had them, and it was no offense to the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, who I have a lot of faith in their ability to turn things around and be a pain to play, but they couldn't score last year and didn't necessarily see a ton of changes there. Now, brought in Jack Beck, which was great, a uh, great addition. We all know Brady Martin, who had early season injury, back healthy, good to see at the U-17s. They'll start reaping some rewards from his play soon. So they did have a few uh, promising incoming pieces, but I just feared that when you have a bottom end team last year that couldn't score, you're only one year removed from that. I didn't know that they were going to have enough firepower to ascend the standings, but here we are. They, they can't stop scoring. All right. Listen, don't worry, Eastern Conference. We're not ignoring you. We already mentioned Mississauga, one of the best teams I know that we've seen so far this season. I got a chance to watch them up close and personal, but I'm going to lump these next two teams together. The Peterborough Peets are leading the East division right now. They're undefeated in regulation on the road through six games at five Oh and one. They've only got one regulation loss in their past 10. This is the defending OHL champion, Peterborough Peets. Come on. And Leading the East division is no small feat because, oh yeah, the Ottawa 67s compete in that division. Now, it's not a runaway, kind of like Sault Ste. Marie early in the season. And the only knock I will give Peterborough as I finish this part of my loop around the league is they've only, quote-unquote, played 13 games. Because, and I bring that up, the other team I wanted to mention just quickly in passing are the Kitchener Rangers, who have now played 16 games and are tied with Sault Ste. Marie for the best record and most points in the entire Ontario Hockey League. So I ask you, Dan Mahar, when are we going to look at Peterborough and more so Kitchener, who has played three more games, and stop with the it's early stuff and start with the these teams might be something here this season? Oh, for sure. And I'll start by saying that Peterborough was probably – the prediction I had the most trouble making calling them to finish as low as they did. I had them in that conference because I love them on paper. There's so much returning talent with experience from that huge run last year. And historically those teams don't sink like people would expect because they lost a few high end pieces. They, they blossom from that experience and some of the midline of guys really step up. So I just felt that there was going to be a bit of a fire sale there regardless to recoup some of those picks. And we've seen a few of those pieces move out now. So we'll see if things start to change now that Connor Lockhart's moved on. Maybe another piece goes, who knows, but there's still enough there that they're going to get at least you would think a playoff round. So I'm not sure I ever thought that they weren't for real. Now you mentioned Kitchener. Admittedly, I didn't think, that they'd be for real at the start of the year. I thought the roster was just too young, lost too much talent, weren't even very good last year. So much there hinged on the coaching. There was an overhaul behind the bench, new head coach, new assistant coaches. That clearly has been done wonders for that team. And having watched the majority of these 16 games, I think it would be hard to argue they're not for real. And when I say that, I don't necessarily mean you're looking at a Memorial Cup team here, but I say you're looking at a team that, they play a solid, hardworking system. There's a lot more talent on that roster than some people probably realized. 
a uh, player like Adrian Mislojevic does not score 12 goals at this point in the season by things bouncing in off him. He's got a rocket shot, good hands, good speed. There's a lot of players that were hidden there, I believe, last year that are coming to the floor. So that's not going to be an easy out. Uh, they look like a surefire playoff team. I don't want to jinx them, but uh, yeah, there were just a few question marks, I think, Mike, surrounding those teams, and they're answering them in spades. You mentioned the Connor Lockhart deal with Peterborough, obviously, because it just happened. Don't forget, and this is when I thought maybe you start waving the white towel, but Michael Simpson was traded away as the season got underway. And still the Peterborough Peets. But I, I love your point, Dan. You just expect because they went out and built the kind of team that they did. But really, it's a, a small handful, three or four big pieces. Owen Beck still there, likely to be moved at some point this season. We'll see. But I'm impressed as hell with what the Peterborough Peets are doing full stop. And I think your point on those Kitchener Rangers that might've been hidden in a really deep and old roster last year uh, is, is a really good one. But for me, and I've been around this team, as you know, full disclosure, I think everybody knows that on this podcast, but I've been around this team for an awfully long time. And I just, I'm, I'm every time it seems as though it's, it's time for a test. You know, they lose back-to-back games. They start 3-0, and then they lose back-to-back games. Okay, you know, is has the bloom come off the rose early? Nope. Then they just go out and reel off a bunch more wins. Then they lose back-to-back games. And, okay, now what's going to happen? Well, then they beat teams like North Bay and London to get back on track. Every time there seems to be a test for this Kitchener Rangers club, they're answering it, and they're answering it with a solid A grade, not just squeaking by like I did in high school, but putting up, a pretty nice response. It's It's been really impressive, and I, I'm with you when it comes to whatever UC Ahokas, uh, Jeff Kurzakis, and Brad Flynn are preaching, this team is fully, fully on board. Yeah, I would say it's a really healthy ecosystem there right, right now, Mike, where you need the GM to find the right pieces, then you need the right coaching staff to develop them, fit them into the lineup, and get the team rolling. And, and I just add to your sentiment there by giving a little bit of a shout out to GM Mike McKenzie too, who knew he was short on the 2006 birth years on his lineup and was trying to build something for a couple years out. So he went out and relatively cheaply acquired Carson Campbell from Sarnia and Luke Ellenis from Barry. And those both look like players this year. So you hand them over to a coaching staff that is really good at communicating, developing these guys, putting them in the right fits. And he's, Two key pieces to that lineup early in the season, Mike, that were basically gifts. You mentioned Mike McKenzie, a guy who took heat last year for making additions to a team that was in eighth place at the trade deadline. Again, it's not the trade deadline yet, but we're getting to the point. I mean, the next game the Rangers play, which will be this Wednesday up in Owen Sound, they're a quarter of the way through the season. You tell me. I, I won't say any more because I, I don't think I can uh, judge it completely objectively here. But something something is really going right. Something is in the water right now in Kitchener. And, and GM Mike McKenzie is going to have himself a headache between now and January the 10th that he did not expect to have, is in my opinion. So he's, he's, got a, he's got a draft pick cupboard that needs to have a few pieces added back into it. And he's got a team that continues to answer critics and respond to pretty stiff tests in the first quarter of this season. 
Well, we, we know from teams over the years and every level, Mike, that if you get everyone rowing in the right direction, playing as a cohesive unit and buying in for each other and buying into what the staff's selling, you can accomplish something much greater than the sum of your parts. And I'm not saying their parts aren't great. Parts are clearly good, but having them in the right roles and the right mix, all doing the same things uh, has gone a really long way, Mike. And we know every player in this league is talented. All these teams have talent. The ones that tend to sink towards the bottom are the ones that aren't don't have that identity and cohesiveness and the ones so a great coaching staff can always milk more out of a lineup. And I think that's what we're seeing in Kitchener. All right. Are there any other teams that you wanted to point out as we loop around the league like this? Uh, just just a quick shout out. Uh, you know, my my bit about goaltending earlier my cow this is one of the greatest goaltending years i've seen in the ohl in a long time so and i'd just be remiss to say that these sneaky guelph storm who are still playing without matthew potras uh brayden gillespie and net has been phenomenal for them despite the two recent losses but uh someone like that comes out of the woodwork mike stopping shots left and right all year and suddenly you've got a contender so if they ever get potras back look out because we know they're getting cam allen back in in mid-season so just a quick shout out to to what gillespie's doing in guelph well you touched on this last week that the 10 game thing when it comes to matthew poitra is not necessarily uh the benchmark anymore but are you are you expecting i mean gosh it would be it would be something else if he stayed up in the national hockey league but i don't know yeah i i'm sticking with my theory that Boston's going to do something at some point to add a center. I, I think they know they have to. They've still got a window here. Um, and with all due respect to to Poitra, 19-year-olds are not really going to be able to play effective minutes for you down the stretch for a contender. Regardless of who you are, I guess maybe Connor McDavid. And, and I think in a few of the games I've watched recently too, it's not that his game's fading at all, but there's it's tough for a 19-year-old at that pace. And a couple steps behind in a few of the games I've seen recently – I still think there's going to be a move coming. I still think he'll be back. Well, fans sticking to that, but he's been proving everyone wrong so far. Yeah. Well, get ready to roar in the Royal city. I feel the same as you do. And the team's going so well right now. Uh, Getting that piece back in the lineup only makes them that much better. You mentioned Brady Martin before one of 17 OHLers who are in PEI, the lucky so-and-sos at the U 17 uh, world hockey challenge. Not a whole lot from the early returns there, but something we're keeping our eyes on. Yeah, a lot of really uh, high-end names, we'll say. I mean, you, you got Tyler Hopkins there. You got a lot of the high picks, pretty much all the high picks in the OHL this year are there. A uh, couple decent outputs so far. Ryan Brown from the Sarnia Stings had a couple good games. We know the the aforementioned Kitchen Rangers, Luca Romano uh, and uh, Cameron Reed on D have both game-winning goals. But yeah, early returns so far. Not a whole lot going on for the OHLers yet. Freddie Martin hasn't posted much yet, but just good to see him back skating after the early season injury. All right. uh, We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, do you know why they call him Jumbo? Joe Thornton had his jersey retired in Sault Ste. Marie. Not a bad accomplishment. 3,000 games. That's a pretty big accomplishment, too. Somebody did that this past weekend. And we have our prospects of the week still to come as well on this episode of the OHL podcast. Jumbo Joe Thornton 
has his number 19 retired at GFL Memorial Gardens in Sault Ste. Marie this past weekend. I loved the way that they did it with the kid wearing 19 now, coming up and taking it off his back, literally, unveiling the number 67, and then peeling the name bar off the back too, so it said Thornton, and up into the rafters, Dan, like just let this sink in for a moment, with names like Ron Francis, Craig Hartsburg, John Van Beesbrook, Adam Foote, and oh yeah, Wayne Gretzky. Have they had some guys come through the Sioux or what? You talk about storied franchises, that's as good as it gets. Like those names are the elite of the elite. Um, I know some of them have pretty far past their playing days and not everyone listening to this podcast is going to remember all of them. But believe us when we say those were all elite of the elite, all came through one little junior hockey town. Isn't it the reason, though, that we enjoy this game as much as we do? Because you get those glimpses. Thornton was two years in Sault Ste. Marie, but he gives that speech. He talks about what being there meant to him. His parents making the trip up from St. Thomas in the London area every weekend to watch him through all kinds of weather, including the weather you get up in the Sioux. And I don't know. It It's the reason that I love being around the game at this level because you catch these glimpses and then you get to watch these players go on and compete at the highest level in the best league in the world for 10 or 12 or 15 years afterwards yeah and we talk about all the time this is why we love this league right these guys come through and and astute observers see it when they're here often it's hindsight and you see a guy play five six years in the nhl and say wow i i remember seeing him in the ohl but i don't remember a whole lot about him or i didn't get to see him because so if you really pay attention and if you look at the track record, I guarantee you there are a couple of them in this league right now that if you pay attention, you watch, these are the guys that are going to be the next Joe Thorne, et cetera, et cetera. It happens every year. We see them. Uh, so don't miss the opportunity because they're there every year. And the Hounds, of course, go out and score a game winner with six seconds to go on that Saturday night when they raised the number 19, Joe Thornton to the rafters. I love it. They call him Jumbo, by the way, not just because he's big and so is his beard, but he hails from St. Thomas. And when the circus was coming through there way back in the day, the elephant, Jumbo the elephant died. There's now there's now a dead elephant beer that you can get from Railway City Brewing in St. Thomas. Uh, no endorsement there, but if you want to send some, because it's a really good IPA, can't have too many in one night, certainly at my age, it's seven point something percent, but nonetheless, it's a nice IPA, Jumbo the elephant, Boom, that's where uh, Joe Thornton's from. Jumbo Joe, it fits his frame as well. And you get a little bit of trivia with your OHL podcast this week. <laughs> yeah, I know they have a monument in St. Thomas to the elephant, um, but I did not connect all the dots about that for the next. I just thought they rented a lot of videos back in the 80s and 90s. And that's an old school reference for you. So That's a blockbuster of a reference right there for sure. <laughs> all right, um, from Thornton's two years in the Sioux and then 20 plus in the National Hockey League and all the games played and all the accolades. I did want to take a moment on this episode to talk about Jimmy Gilchrist, uh, nicknamed Cookie, the play-by-play voice of the Kingston Frontenacs from back when they were the Kingston Canadians. And Jimmy this past weekend called game number 3000 in the Ontario Hockey League. And that's an accomplishment no matter where you are and and what profession that you're in, particularly when it comes to calling games. A guy that I grew up admiring and had the chance to work with for a number of years, Don Cameron, who called games 
with the Kitchener Rangers. He was the only voice that the team knew until his passing in 2018. And he did more than 4,000 games, but cookie with his 3000 and still going strong. And, and he's just one of those guys, Dan, that I've had the chance to get to know over the years. I was told before I met him that nobody keeps statistics like Jimmy Gilchrist. And I won't bore you with details. I think I made reference to it in an earlier episode, but this guy is, he's meticulous and he's got all of his handwritten notes from all of his games over all of these years. And and just let this sink in as impressive a number as 3000 is he had a seven year gap in his play-by-play career because of changes at the radio station he was working at. So the other thing I wanted to to mention in this, you might think, okay, well, I'll go back to quoting one of my favorite movies of all time, and that's Bull Durham and Crash Davis, the character played by Kevin Costner, was approaching a home run record. And when he talked about it, he said, yeah, you know, hitting the most home runs in minor league baseball is a rather dubious distinction. So you might think 3,000 games in a minor hockey system like the Ontario Hockey League you know, is a dubious distinction, but I look at it completely differently. I think for a lot of people, they find a home in this league. Jimmy Gilchrist said that when he first got the offer, he started out in Oshawa, by the way, with the Gens. When he got the offer to go to Kingston, they told him, you spend one summer here and you'll never want to leave. Well, he hasn't left. He's got a family. His kids were born there. His wife relocated with him, obviously, when he first took the job. And as you and I have already talked about in this episode, what a great league. You, know, you get to be around some really great people. You get to see some really quality hockey players and hockey games. One of Cookie's original color commentators was Chris Cuthbert, who now and and Chris is one of the best in Canada. There's a reason he's on Hockey Night in Canada. But but Jimmy found his home in the Ontario Hockey League, and I don't think we should, you know, look at that as a as a negative in any way, shape, or form. We've seen people move through this league. Victor Findlay was very recent couple of years in this league and now he's calling games on the radio for the Montreal Canadiens good on him there's a kid right now Nick Welch who's working in the front office manager of uh, comms and media for the Windsor Spitfires I don't know that he's going to be in this league long he's going to step his way through it and on to other things in bigger leagues and that's awesome too because it's a development league all around but there's something to be said for a guy like Jimmy Gilchrist and I just wanted to make sure that we got that out and I said that long-winded uh, tribute to him on this episode. Yeah, huge congratulations to Jim Gilker. I don't know him personally like you do, Mike, but I, all I can tell you is from everyone I do know that knows him, describes him as nothing but pure class. And yeah, I see absolutely nothing dubious about it whatsoever. Uh, I think that some of these, you've hit the pinnacle in broadcasting when you become synonymous with a team or or a, a location. And I think that's what he has done. And and you think of everything great that there is about Kingston. I have such a soft spot for that city. It's a gorgeous city, a lot of family in that area, but Jim Gilchrist is just as big a part of that as anything. And, and he becomes this foundation that the, the franchise is built on in some ways, these broadcasters that bring the games to the communities and, and no one has done it better than him. So what a, what a huge thing. Can we just, can we just credit him for 3,500 then Mike for the extra <laughs> seven years? So. We might as well. Right. And you know what? He, he might, get that far he's a he's a young 71 he's got some gas still in that tank and he's just an absolute gem 
of a human being. Just make sure when you do run into him, you've got a few minutes because there's not usually a short conversation with Jimmy, but just a, just a terrific guy. And, you know, you got me thinking now when you talk about becoming synonymous with a city or a franchise, the WHL last year introduced uh, a media award. You know, maybe we need one in the Ontario Hockey League. Maybe that's the idea to spring out of this episode of the OHL podcast and we can get the ball rolling on that because maybe it could be the Don Cameron Memorial Award. I don't know. I don't think anybody anywhere is going to reach 4,000 plus games like Don did. But anyway, maybe maybe the Ontario Hockey League needs something like that to mirror what they're doing in the dub and and Boy, I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody more deserving than Jimmy Gilchrist at this point, for sure. Oh, absolutely, Mike. That's a great idea. And who better to name it for than Don Cameron, of course. But uh, I'll say this as a guy who's not an actual trained broadcaster. I'm just a hack that you're carrying on this podcast. But I will say, following the OHL, there is an awful lot of talent in the broadcast booths in this league. And a lot of people like to be critical of it and, and some of the small town media. But let me tell you, it is not an easy gig. It is not uh, an easy thing to do a great job with covering the, uh, the visiting team, knowing the players, the pronunciations, the backgrounds, and bringing a fair picture of those games. And I just uh, I am so impressed with the level of talent in the broadcast booths this year, but, but none better, obviously, than, than Jimmy Gilchrist. Yeah, Larry Malott's been around a long time in Guelph. Freddie Wallace from Owen Sound just retired. But you don't do it for as long as guys like Jimmy and Larry and others have uh, because there's fame and fortune associated with it. The the travel can be a real grind, especially if you, you have a day job, you have a family, you're gone on the weekends. A lot of time when Jimmy would be doing morning radio, and I've had to go through this too, you'd, you'd be on a road game the night before and on a couple hours sleep, you're right back into the radio station to do the shift the next morning. It just kind of comes with the territory, but you do it and you do it for 3000 games because you love it. And, and there's no question that Jimmy absolutely loves what he does. Yeah. We should all be so lucky to do something for that long that we love and because we love. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And look how many people benefit from it. How many uh, episodes of this podcast are we at? Like a hundred. <laughs> we got a long way to go, buddy. A long way to go. Yeah. 2,970 or so ago. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm down. I, I, I think I got it in me. Oh, okay. Uh, let's get to our prospects of the week and let people get back to their lives as they're listening to the tail end of this. Who do you have to share with us this week, Dansky? All right, I'm a little worried this week that I do have the same guy as you because I, I just felt I had to go with Beckett Seneca in Oshawa. Reason, well, a few reasons. Uh, Oshawa starting to come on. Looking really good. He's a guy rated to go right now, probably late first in the NHL draft, early second, probably ascending those scales soon. But anytime you score a hat trick in a 3-2 win oh, to over a big rival, he's got all three goals uh, as a draft-eligible player, that's got to be my guy. So Beckett-Seneca for me, Mike, who you got? Well, I will just add to what you said. Not only all three goals in a 3-2 win against a rival – but getting all three after a nine-game goal-scoring drought. Way to get the monkey off your back, Beckett Seneca. It is unanimous on the OHL podcast this week. Our prospect of the week is Beckett Seneca of the Oshawa Generals. It, it's fitting. It saves a little bit of time here at the end of this episode. And uh, I'm really looking forward to, to teeing up what's coming up or who's coming up on Friday because I, I confess to not having known much about this guy until one of our listeners. So a shout out to Weebs, my good friend, Tyler, 
who said, hey, you got to get the first captain of the Erie Otters onto the podcast. And I said, I do. He said, yeah, he seems like an interesting guy. I said, okay, Weebs, we're going to do that. And so I looked him up and I learned a little bit about him. And did you know that the humanitarian award in Erie is still named after this guy? So you'll get that story and so much more. This turned out to be one of my favorite people to talk to. He's just, I, I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it with the first captain of the Erie Otters. You'll get that episode on Friday. It was a treat for me. So hopefully it comes across the same when you're listening to it. Looking forward to that one as well. You know, I love, I love the Erie content. So can't wait for that one. All right. We're looking forward to another episode of this version of the OHL podcast next Tuesday. You'll get that when Dan and I reflect on the week that was, and who knows a lot of what we said this week could look like junk next week. That's the beauty of this league, but the parody that Dan talked about too earlier this episode, ain't many dogs out there right now. Although we do have bulldogs, we've got ice dogs anyway. Yeah. But besides that, it's been, it's been a fun start to this season, hasn't it? Oh, it has it ever. And that, that lends to it going down the, the road, Mike, there's no team that's out of it and probably won't be for the majority of the season. So. That guy right there is Dan Mahar. Find him on Twitter at his name, Dan Mahar. I'm Mike Farwell at Farwell underscore OHL. Send an email anytime. OHL podcast at rogers.com. And please give us a like, subscribe, follow, leave a review. Tell us what you think. There's a YouTube channel as well. Tell a friend and be listening for a conversation with the first ever captain of the Erie Otters when your next episode of the OHL podcast comes out on Friday. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. We all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast. Heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.